Hey, what's up, guys? This is Ricky V. And today we have episode number 23, which is part two of the interview with Mr. Rick Collins. If you want to listen to the first part, go back to uh, episode number 22. That is going to be part one, episode number 23. This is part two. Without further ado, Mr. Rick Collins. So, so, uh, um, it, let, let me, let me just steer into conversation a little bit towards this. Cause you mentioned that is, is real interesting. There's been a surge in TRT clinics over the yeah. last decade where they're just everywhere now. Now I know a little bit about it, a little bit about how they're, they're being franchised out now, uh, how, um, even some of the, the laws that changed around the pandemic, around COVID lockdowns, where you could have telemed, where you could see your doctor basically through Zoom. And right. some doctors could even get a special license until I was just on the next state over. So now uh, if you, you know, if you have uh, 15, 20 doctors around the country um, and each of them get their, their license into, to do a telemed on adjacent states, you pretty much have a lockdown <laughs> and you can, uh, you can, you know, create a whole network of TRT uh, clinics and prescriptions and stuff. This is what I've been kind of following because it, it's really interesting to me how, uh, you know, they all came out and now they're, they're all over Facebook. They're, they're marketing to me on social. So you talk a little bit more about that. Is that going to continue to go on or, or do you think that that's going to also come to come to an end? Cause they're, I mean, I see them prescribing now stuff that I know has not been approved for human use yet. Uh, some of these right. peptides are not, are not approved. But they're right. still they're prescribing them. Um, and how, how's that work? And what are your thoughts on all that? So, um, you know, the TRT clinics have evolved over time. If you remember, you know, probably 15 years ago, there were some efforts by law enforcement folks to try to crack down. And they were looking at some of them as kind of pill mills, the equivalent of, of like a pain pill um, mill where you just call up, you speak to a sales rep, and next thing you know, you've got some, uh, some DECA and tests showing up at your door. Um, you know, what makes uh, TRT clinics or any prescriber or distributor, um, medical distributor of anabolic steroids into, uh, into the harm's way area of criminal law is when it's for a non-medical purpose, right? There's nothing wrong with prescribing testosterone for a medical purpose um, with a valid prescription for legitimate medical use, um, but it's not okay to prescribe it for non-medical purposes. And non-medical purposes include bodybuilding or putting another inch on your chest or your arms, right? Or, or increasing your bench press. So anything that shows that that's what it's for is subjecting that clinic or that doctor to potential harm's way. And I think the clinics have, have changed a lot of their uh, modus operandi and, and how they operate um, to try to uh, adhere to the medical side of things. So um, they are requiring blood tests. I don't know how you could prescribe uh, testosterone to somebody without knowing what their levels are, right? So, so the first thing that they'll do is that they'll, they'll often have some type of video uh, conference between the patient and the doctor. Um, they'll look at factors that suggest that it might be for non-medical purposes. 
Um, is the person an athlete? Is, is the guy 21 years old? Uh, you know, uh, what sort of dosing? You know, there were times where some of these clinics in the early stage were giving, you know, 800 milligrams of test a week to a 23-year-old who was competing in sports, you know? So uh, that's, yep. that's how you yep. get yourself jammed up, right? Um, but, but certainly yep. the science has evolved and the science suggests, particularly for guys of a certain age, you know, I don't know, uh, 40, you know, late 30s, late 40s, certainly 50s and 60s, that as your levels drop and naturally, which is just that natural, you know, hypogonadism you know, over time, that testosterone can be very beneficial for a whole lot of quality of life aspects um, for those who have low levels and that it's not the big threat to the heart, particularly at, at TRT doses um, that some folks claimed it was, you know, and you know that the FDA put a black box warning on testosterone saying it can cause strokes and heart attacks. That, science doesn't really support that. And as you probably know, there's a bunch of class action lawsuits that have been filed against the makers of testosterone drugs, uh, creams and, and stuff like that. Um, claiming that, hey, you know, you were false advertising and you were saying that this is good for people, but it's not, and it causes heart attacks, and my client had a heart attack and stuff like that. And, and the reality is every, every month I see a new study coming out that supports that testosterone is actually good for your heart if you have low levels and you're of a certain age and you don't have any contraindications that testosterone can actually improve cardiac um, health. And so, um, so I, it, it, it's interesting, I think as that has happened more and more, and of course the, the devil's in the details, right? The, the difference between a medicine and a poison is the dose. Taking you know, 150 milligrams, uh, 180 milligrams of a week of, of testosterone might be good for somebody's heart taking, you know, 1500 milligrams of test deck and trenbolone, you know, for long periods of time, um, that's not going to be good for your heart, you know? So, um, so assuming that the TRT is done in a safe uh, manner, and again, I'm not a doctor, but certainly what I read in the medical literature suggests that, that, you know, the, the risks uh, that have been portrayed in the media and by these plaintiffs class action lawyers are really not, they're, they're baseless. You know, the TRT clinics, um, yeah, I mean, it's changed a lot. I remember there was a time where a clinic got raided and they pulled out the records. And I think, uh, if, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was like 50 Cent and Mary J. Blige and a lot of right. actors yep. and stuff were, were, were on their on their patients list and all this crazy yes. stuff was going on. Yeah, some uh, people. That was, uh, yeah, yeah. But there were, a lot of uh, famous folks uh, were, were swept up in that. And now fast forward to today, you know. Today, apparently, you can go to a TRT clinic with your testosterone levels through the roof and just tell your doctor, hey, I've been injecting this stuff uh, underground. Um, I'm, my level, I'm not going to inject it anymore. My levels are going to crash. Can you prescribe me something to give me a soft landing so I don't go into depression? And uh, apparently, just how maybe a, a heroin addict can get a drug to help them not 
go into a uh, into a withdrawal. Apparently, now some doctors uh, of these TOT clinics are willing to work with you, and and as long as you know subsequent uh, blood tests show that your levels have dropped to to a normal and you're not still abusing it, they'll they'll prescribe you to come down, and you never have to really provide a a low testosterone uh, test. You just have to, you know, level with the doctor and say, yeah, my levels are crazy, but that's because I was injecting illegally. Now I just want to go through you. How much can you give me per week and give me a soft land? And it's, it's a, I mean, that, that whole game has changed a lot. Apparently from what I've heard, the, the people behind it who are, who are franchising all these clinics out, the guys who, who have the doctor's networks, they also have people up in Washington um, trying to help change some things uh, to make it so that they can, they can survive long-term because I mean, Dude, they're prescribing TB 500 to people. They're prescribing things that are now you can get Anavar. You can get a DECA of, you know, Dandrolone through these clinics. I've even heard that they're going to be prescribing Dianabol soon again, which we're all at some point approved for uh, for human use. But um, that's it's been pretty interesting how that that's changed. And I was just wondering if you had some some recent experience with TRT clinics and some of those uh, things. So who knows what the future is going to hold? It seems like, you know, things develop for a while and then somebody uh, in government or in a medical regulatory context will will look at it. I have represented doctors in the past who've gotten jammed up for their practices in, um, you know, prescribing testosterone or other steroids to patients. Uh, in a medical licensing situation, not not even criminal. So obviously, a, a doctor who is prescribing a lot of uh, testosterone and and other steroids uh, can get on the radar screen in a number of different ways. Certainly, ad, the type of advertising can put the person on the radar screen, um, or a complaint to the medical licensing folks from a family member or from a disgruntled patient. And then they start looking into it. And then ultimately they ask for the doctor's records. And then they see the doctor uh, is prescribing testosterone and Anavar to let's say a woman who is a uh, competitive bodybuilder or something, uh, or to a 21 year old uh, who didn't have low levels and suddenly you know, some of these medical licensing boards are, are comprised of very conservative folks, you know, and so you'll have an endocrinologist sitting on the board uh, and asking the doctor questions like, well, you're, you're not an endocrinologist, you're a, you know, a emergency care doctor, that's what your training is, or you're a dermatologist, or a plastic surgeon, what made you think that you would be able to practice endocrinology. And there's definitely a divide between the mindset of the doctors who are involved in these age management kind of clinics and the more traditional, orthodox, conservative endocrinology folks who are like, you know, if you're not, if your levels are not equivalent to a 90-year-old woman then we can't give you a drop of test, you know? Um, and that's, unfortunately, that is somewhat of the mindset of the, you know, the more conservative endocrinologists. So there's definitely a divide there, um, whether at some point there's another 
another one of those operations like the one that went after the clinic that you were talking about or some other clinics uh, in Florida over the years? Um, you know, it may be as things get more and more and more aggressive that, you know, somebody makes a complaint and that puts some clinic on the radar screen. That's very interesting. Yeah, there are definitely uh, a ton of them out, out now. And uh, it's, you know, it's changed the game because they don't have to go get their own doctors. They plug into this network of doctors and they're done pretty much. You know, they, they just have to go out and, and find patients. And it's a, it's a real interesting landscape. It, it'll be interesting to see if, if this comes to an end as well. Because, I mean, I, you've been at this for 20 something years. I've been at it for about just under 20. And yep. we've seen so many things come and go, man. Just so many different things come and go within, <laughs> within this industry within the you know the, the i guess you could call it the enhancement uh yep. industry yep yeah but i so you know many, what rick so i, I love what i go. do you know i am so happy i was a competitive bodybuilder when i was young and um and i was a personal trainer and i'm um, you know certified uh strength and conditioning specialist through nsca so i you know uh, fitness and, and health and nutrition and, and that's and training has been part of my life since long before I was a lawyer. Um, and I love that I've been able to kind of, you know, my, my practice is kind of where these two things meet, right? Where health and fitness and wellness uh, and nutrition intersect with criminal and regulatory law. Uh, I've gotten to meet a lot of cool, I've represented a lot of pro bodybuilders. I've gotten to spend a day in, in Arnold Schwarzenegger's office uh, talking with him and meet him a, a number of times in, in my capacity involved with uh, pro division of IFBB as counsel. Uh, I've had all sorts of fun stuff. And I, and I love being able to help people get, who get jammed up. Uh, the criminal cases that I handle as a defense lawyer uh, generally don't involve anybody hurting somebody else. You know, I'm one of the few criminal defense lawyers in the world whose clients typically don't steal anything, don't, you know, hurt physically, they're not, or sexually, or even economically, they don't do those sorts of things. It's basically people who are involved in a community who are looking for a certain type of uh, appearance and, um, you know, are using steroids or selling steroids within that kind of context. And, you know, most of many of my clients have no prior criminal history. Uh, they're law abiding people. They're good people uh, who get jammed up because of the way the laws are. And as you probably know, the U.S. laws on steroids are not necessarily the same as once you get out of the, the U.S., you know, in the United Kingdom and different, in Canada, different other you know, places. That's right. They don't treat it the same way. So, you know, here we we are much more militant and harsh on on the way we we deal with these, particularly in, in the context of possession. It's night and day. So um, so I love what I do. Uh, I love helping people. I love that a lot of my clients on criminal cases you know, become my friends on social media. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, chime in and, and recommend me to other people. And, you know, they, they want to be part of my journey as things go forward. And, and I love that. I'm, I'm very blessed, Rick. I'm very lucky to, to have the practice I have. And, you know, certainly anybody who, who needs me, um, or, you know, who I can help in some way, if you're in the nutrition or the supplement industry, 
um, or if you're, you know, get jammed up by law enforcement. And we could do another show sometime, Rick, and talk more about people's rights and what to do if you're questioned by law enforcement or if they show up with a warrant or they don't have a warrant and they're looking for consent in one context or another. There's so much information that we could give to people. But, um, but I really appreciate you giving me the, the time to chat today. It's been a lot of fun. You're, you're very well versed and, and you and I, you know, have been watching this for a long time. I love that you brought up Ben Johnson. I'll, I'll finish with this, you know, that, that 1988 Seoul Olympics uh, sports scandal where Ben Johnson beat Carl Lewis really launched in many ways the war on steroids by the U.S. Congress and in some ways really launched my career in defending people who were accused of these crimes because of the law that went into effect because of Ben Johnson. And so I got the chance to meet Ben Johnson about five years ago we were part of a panel together talking about doping and sports and steroids and stuff. And, um, and he and I were able to have a, a private conversation where, uh, you know, I, I acknowledged to him, I said, you know, my, I, I owe my career in many ways um, to the fallout that occurred from your doping scandal. And, um, and we took some pictures together. And I think that picture is somewhere on my Rick Collins ESQ Instagram page, as well as other stuff. So um, anybody who's interested, certainly you can follow me there. And, um, you know, um, if, if anybody ever has a question or a problem, I'm here to help. Uh, not, not to get too critical, but it, it was Joe Biden that spearheaded that whole, the whole move to make steroids uh, criminalized. They were, they were he was, he was certainly part of it and very vocal in, you know, the, putting out the idea that steroids are, are un-American because they, you know, foster cheating. Uh, and of course the reality, and we could talk about this another time, but the reality is that the vast majority of people who are using anabolic steroids for non-medical purposes are not even competing in sports. It has nothing to do with sports. It has nothing to do with performance in a contest or competition the vast majority of people and you know this the vast majority of, of yep. people using steroids are, are just looking to appear more muscular than they would without them that that's that's it you know and and i've analogized this and i'm sure you've read my my pieces and and heard me talk about that i think for for most for all of those people steroids are much more akin to cosmetic surgery uh, it, it's the male, typically the male version of life, you know, liposuction and, and breast implants, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's subjecting yourself to medical risks for arguably for vanity. Okay. But we're a very vain culture. We do all sorts of stuff for vanity that's allowed. Um, but I think the, the context is much more similar. And yet, you know, while a lot of those things are perfectly legal to do, if a doctor does that, or you go to a doctor trying to to do that, you're you're thrown out, or or the doctor gets arrested. So it's it's an interesting, you know, discrepancy. Yeah, the, the majority of steroid users are, are Bob, just going to the office every day doing accountant, looking prolific, just looking huge. You know, and, I did. Uh, a, that, I was part of a study on that. We did a survey a few years back. You may remember. Um, I think it was published in the medical literature in, in uh, 2007. 
uh, called A League of Their Own. And you can go on, you know, you can find I it online that. by Googling. And, you know, the average steroid user is average steroid users in their early 30s using it for cosmetic purposes, not competing in sports, hasn't competed in sports uh, in years and years and years, uh, has above average education, has above average income. Um, and it, it's purely for non-medical purposes, you know, to look better. Yeah, absolutely. Pro professional, just Bob going to office, you know, professional, making good money. Yeah, that, that's and, and the yet profile he's a criminal. Of the and yet that Bob is a criminal under, under American law. We need to get all the bobs out of the woodwork. It won't take long. It'll be, you know, it'll be a couple, couple of us again. You know, I, I will say this, Rick. Uh, I, I, in the, my 20 years in, in this industry, I've, I've sold advertising space. I've now made my own products, uh, deal with manufacturers. There were a lot of people. I'm, I think we have like something like 300 uh, friends on Facebook that we are uh, in common. Sure. Everybody, everybody looks for Rick whenever they're jammed up with anything. All these nutritional supplement companies, there was just... This guy I was just talking to about making a pre-workout for me uh, back in the day, many years ago, he, he had done some pro hormone deals after other uh, bands and um, you know, years and years later, it caught up with him and he had to go and, you know, deal with his past. And yep. he mentioned having you uh, as an advisor to his lawyer. So if people aren't hiring you directly, they're hiring you to work with their lawyers yes. <laughs> you know, and advise yep. them. It's definitely, yeah. um, I mean, I've, I've yet to see anybody in the industry that gets jammed up that doesn't call you or have their lawyers call you because you've, you specialize in, in, in this thing. Now, let me ask you this last question before we go, and we could get into a podcast about this too. When you were going to law school, when you were thinking about becoming a lawyer, what did you actually want to specialize in? Because I doubt you were you were in law school thinking about defending our steroid users, right? What were, right. You, what were you What were you thinking about doing with with your life? Would you when you grew up? What do you want to be? It's 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 so funny because when I went to law school, it was before steroids were were criminalized. You know, they weren't even controlled substances, so there was no um, you know even thought that that could ever be an area of practice. And it was really before sports nutrition really took off. You know, um, it, you know, it was only in you know the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act, and in the aftermath of that, that people started coming out with sports nutrition products. I remember when I was in college you know, there was sports nutrition didn't really exist. There was some desiccated liver tablets that we were taking. And, um, you know, this, this chalky, horrible protein products and, or there was this like collagen, this, this like red syrupy collagen in a plastic bottle that you'd pour on a tablespoon and drink. And it tasted like something between motor oil and, and, you know, cough medicine. Um, and so, yeah, yep, so yep. I, I had no idea, right. You remember it was a long time ago, but, but that's what it was. And so, um, timing is everything, Rick, you know, it's funny that the year that I went into private practice in 1990 was the same exact year that steroids were criminalized by Congress. And so that maybe things happen for a reason. And so, um, the, if I, the timing was just perfect. When I went to law school, I was I was initially thinking about being a prosecutor. And so I did work for five years as a prosecutor. So I was putting the bad guys, you know, and it was 
putting the bad guys in jail and um, and fighting for justice and you know putting away the robbers and 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 the rapists and and the people who are doing terrible things to other people uh, and I loved that job and I think I did it in a in a way that was uh, fair um, I was tough but but fair and and um, and then I went into you know I left that to to go into private practice because. I'm entrepreneurial like you, and, and I wanted to build a business. I wanted to build something of my own with my partners. And, um, and I started out doing bread and butter criminal defense. And I still do some bread and butter criminal defense work at the federal level outside of this, you know, this practice. Um, for example, I'm representing one of the people who uh, went into the U.S. Capitol on January 6th and, and defending, you know, him on, on that case in Washington. So I do other cases as well. And I love being a criminal defense lawyer. But um, but I, you know, this sort of came about because I was having been a competitive bodybuilder, having been in the gym culture for years um, when steroids became criminalized. Uh, and suddenly in the early 90s, people started getting arrested for steroids. It was like, what the hell is going on here? And and nobody really. They knew. made it harder for you to get your stash. They made it harder for you to get your stuff. <laughs> oh, you're bad. You're a bad man. So, um, <laughs> so yeah. So I started getting calls, and and these were the same. These are the kind of guys that that had been spotting me in the gym for years. You know, these are the same kind of guys who were my friends, and so um, so it was it was great, and and my my practice evolved naturally, you know, organically, it wasn't something that I planned. It wasn't something that, you know, was opportunistic or, or thought out. It was just, you know, sometimes, you know, fate finds you and you, you find your place and, and you, you find your purpose and your mission in life. You know, I was just talking to some law students the other day and talking about, you know, a lot of young people are looking for happiness within the legal profession. And, and I say, you know, looking for happiness is, is not, you know, you're never going to find it. It, it. it becomes, you know, it's like chasing a ghost, you know, the closer you get to it, the more it evaporates. And, you know, instead of looking for happiness, search for purpose, find your purpose, find purpose in what you do. And happiness will follow finding that purpose. I, I know there had to be a time where you defended those one or two really well-known key clients that kind of established you settled you in as, as like the the go-to guy because we in our industry it's in a way everybody kind of knows each other um right and i know i know that had to be a time where like you defended those one or two guys that are really well known and after that everybody started calling you is that is that how it kind of went about yeah, I think I think that that kind of happened. Um, you know, even even guys who weren't overly well known um, started, you know, singing my praises to other people because of, of how I handled their cases and how I kind of understood things that, that other lawyers didn't. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I represented the chemist in the Balco case uh, probably 20 years ago, and um, and that got a lot of publicity. Um, the, the whole, you know, cheating scandal with, you know, Marion Jones and Barry Bonds and all of that. So that put me on the radar screen. And, and I, I represented Dave Palumbo. You brought his name up before, but Dave also yep, yep. Sing, sing. I mean, Dave always says, if you don't hire Rick, you're out of your mind. And I appreciate that tremendously. And so, you know, I represented some people who were higher profile and who had 
you know, some influence in the community. And so, um, and so I think that definitely put me on the radar screen. And really there's not a lot of other lawyers, if any, that really have the experience uh, and knowledge uh, of decades in, in the trenches. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, like you said, if, if you're in this business um, and you're involved with any kind of, you know, FDA or DEA problematic substances, um, you, you probably know who I am or, or have me on speed dial. Yeah, for sure. I mean, nobody nobody wants to sit at, with their lawyers and have to explain to them what, what these steroids are I got in trouble with, right? Nobody right. wants yeah, to do no, that. And, and I wind up like, doing that. You know, when people hire me as a consultant, I wind up doing yeah. that. I wind up educating their lawyer from, you know, a very rudimentary level. Yes. Yes. I, I can. That, that's why they either either hire you directly or they bring you in to work with their lawyers because the, I mean, some of these guys might be great criminal lawyers, but they just they don't know the difference between a, you know, a, a DECA and a D-ball and a di- and right. an Anavar. They don't know anything. Nobody and that can be that. the most important thing, you know. And so I, I've handled cases in in all over the country where people will bring me in as the lead lawyer. And then I'll bring in just a local guy who, you know, and I'm very, very careful about who I bring in as my local counsel because I want somebody who is who is the right fit for the particular prosecutor involved and the particular judge that the case is going to be in front of. And so I can kind of very much handpick local counsel. I've worked with excellent local counsel around the country, but a lot of the heavy lifting I can do because a lot of the negotiating involves the particular expertise that I have. Um, and, and that benefits the client. And, and that combination I've found um, on cases from, you know, the deep South to the far West and, you know, uh, everywhere in between, um, is, is great. And I am licensed in, in numerous States as well. I'm licensed not only in New York, but in Pennsylvania and Massachusetts and DC and, and Texas. And, but, um, I found that in particularly in very small jurisdictions, you know, uh, small cities, having local counsel that I bring in um, is a great way of getting sort of the combination of the knowledge and experience and the subject matter with a little bit of the home cooking where the, you know, the judge will see a face that she recognizes or he recognizes um, and that that combination gets the, the kind of results that then have people going out and, and you know, spreading the word about about me about yeah yeah i I like reading a lot of your stuff that you put on on social and and some of your columns i mean i really like reading your your stuff because it's always very interesting because in this industry you always see people even people like like i said my buddy had a has a brand on the up and up and some pro hormones he sold four or five years ago caught up with him so you always see people jammed up that you consider just normally normally good people and uh some of the better ones that i like reading when you when you write is is it this 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 whole story thing is so complex that even prosecutors don't understand it too well and there's times that you've had to go and explain to the prosecutor what it is what it is we're doing here and why maybe your case is not as strong as you think you know yeah it's it's always been interesting that there even the the prosecutors don't even understand it that's very often and and you know and i've dealt with i gotta say most of the prosecutors i've dealt with are smart people and um 
you know, they uh, they're worthy adversaries. And, and I like that. Look, you know, it's if you want to be a trial lawyer, you've got to be a gladiator. You've got to recognize that when you're a defense lawyer, you're stepping into an arena and the, the government for all the, you know, mechanisms of presumption of innocence and burden of proof on the prosecution. The reality yes. is the government yes. has great resources. They've got tremendous resources. They've got tremendous advantages. And, and you're the gunslinger. You're the, you're the guy who's coming in, you know, guns a blazing to try to dig your client out of what could be just a, a, a deep, deep black hole. And, and I take it seriously. I, I say that the greatest compliment anybody can ever pay me is to is to trust me as their lawyer, to hire me as their lawyer, because, you know, that that puts a huge burden on me. You know, you're, you're entrusting me to save your life very often. And and so uh, whether it's through negotiation and and, you know, explaining to the prosecutor how certain presumptions that he or she has about the case are unfounded or certain guideline views that they have are actually not correct. Um, and I have enough experience to be able to articulate these things in a way that's persuasive. And, um, you know, and, and if you have to fight and you have to litigate, uh, which I have, you know, I've, I've litigated all sorts of weird issues and, and weird cases across the country. Um, and um, you got to be prepared to fight. And um, but, yeah, very often uh, I'm able to work things out in a way that is very beneficial to the client. And I, I'm probably one of the few lawyers who can say that the majority of my clients don't go to prison, even on federal cases. And that's statistically very, very unusual, um, if not unprecedented. And obviously you can never make guarantees and every case is different and, you know, um, circumstances vary, but I can tell you that the majority of my clients uh, are prosecuted in federal courts and don't go to prison. Um, and I'm proud of that. I think, I think the fact you just understand every side of this so well puts you at a, at a huge advantage. Like we were just discussing, it puts you just an incredible advantage of negotiating when you're the one explaining to the prosecutor what, what we're doing here what we're talking about here what these things are that we're talking about and uh i think it it i mean it, it, yeah it's great because otherwise you'd have two lawyers that don't even know what what's going on don't know what yeah. what they're even looking at yeah and i've seen that happen sometimes sadly where people will call me and they'll tell me what happened with their case and you know it's too late for me to help and it's it's you know I'm like, well, one of the reasons you know, I know it's uh, I, I know, one of the reasons I know it's a mess out there is because at least when we when we read some articles, even some sometimes you share on, on, on social where people are getting are, you know, having a forfeit money uh, for, for, for some or this or that. The the agencies that are coming after them are always different. Sometimes it's the FDA, sometimes is the FBI, sometimes is local. So, so the fact that it's so kind of widespread, different uh, agencies sure. are enforcing it uh, there each different agencies are using different laws to to go after after yeah, these guys yeah you could you could add homeland security you can add homeland yep. security to that you can add the postal inspectors to that yeah oh absolutely the the fact that it's not just one agent one agency or two or two using the same laws but basically several agencies use it using everything in the book to try to put these guys out of business it's it definitely takes someone who really knows every end of it uh to really to really 
negotiate and get you, get you, <laughs> get you out of this jam with a, with a decent result for sure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I really, I'm, I'm humbled and, and I'm blessed to be able to, to help people in that way. Uh, I, I really love what I do. Um, you know, it gets back to, you know, purpose leads to happiness and, um, and I, I, I thank you for giving me the chance to, to chat a little bit. I hope, uh, I hope every, anybody listening to this podcast uh, got something of value out of it and, um, and follow me on social media. And, and certainly you can reach out if you go to rickcollins.com. Uh, rickcollins.com is a website that, that has some information about the sort of federal practice that I have. And um, if you're interested in, in supplements and sports nutrition issues, um, you know, we do represent, my firm represents a lot of companies. Uh, we even do trademark work. So if you're looking to, you know, even contract or trademark work, I, I have lawyers that, that do an enormous amount of that work and can help supplement companies to navigate those waters. So, um, uh, so yeah, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll see some of your, your listeners on social media, uh, reach out, say hi. Um, I go to a lot of the trade shows too, uh, you know, at least until COVID kind of derailed so much, but, um, I, I usually, I go to the Olympia, I go to the Arnold. Um, and so, and, and some of the, you know, expos, uh, for supplements. So, you know, uh, maybe say hello if, if you're there. Yeah, Rick, thank you very much for coming on today. I'll definitely uh, try to get another uh, interview with you. I'll get into, awesome. into Kratom. I don't want to get more yeah. into, uh, yeah, yeah. into into stero steroid laws and international uh, things to do with steroids. And yeah, there's definitely a lot of other topics. Absolutely. Growth hormone we could talk about, individual rights and how to protect them. So much we could talk yeah. about. So thank you again, Rick. I really appreciate it. Hey. Thank you for your time today, Rick. I know you're a busy guy. I appreciate it. And we'll, we'll be in touch via social and, and try to uh, get something going. I'm going to link your socials, uh, basically your Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook on the description of this podcast so that people can go in and join you and, and read. Awesome. You, you post in very interesting stuff. I like reading all of your, all of your work, man. It's, it's, it's incredible. Thank you very much for your time today, brother. You're welcome, man. Thank you. Take care.